The text today is Acts 4, verses 1 through 22. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 4, verses 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the mindset, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened him, they let them know, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Greetings, HTC family. Pastor Jay from Kansas City with the privilege once again to proclaim God's truth. And I am grateful for it. Let us pray and then we'll get into God's word. Father, thank you for uh, your truth this morning, the opportunity to hear it, for me to proclaim it. May you continue to do your work in our lives through it, even the work of transformation, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Like a number of you viewing or listening today, since the spring of this year, I've added Zoom to my list of best friends. Spend a lot of time with Zoom these days. While I live in Kansas City, Zoom can take me to your city, your home, your streets. Huh? This week I was on a call with a person on 
the famous or infamous green line in Chicago. I've taken that line many times to and from our home when we lived there in Chicago. I mentioned this because during my Chicago years, when on public transportation, it was not uncommon for me to see someone on the train boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Huh? How does it make you feel when you see someone unashamedly speaking up for Jesus on a college campus, in a classroom, in a break room or a boardroom? If we're really honest with ourselves, we probably have mixed feelings, do we not? One of the reasons that we are so sensitive is that the bold, courageous witness of others makes us conscious of our need to be more bold and to be more courageous for Jesus. Yes, people are wired differently and preaching or proclaiming Christ on public transportation or street witness is not for everybody. But if the truth be told, huh? More often than not, we find ourselves silent. We find ourselves muted, uh, muted within our family, we're muted within smaller circles of friends, huh? when we should be actually speaking up for Christ and sharing about him and telling others about him. What we see in today's passage is bold allegiance to Jesus that compelled the apostles to speak up for Jesus. Huh? Bold allegiance to Jesus that compelled the apostles to speak up for Jesus. Friends, that kind of bold allegiance to Jesus, that's foundational for authentic Christian, uh, authentic Christianity. It's in the church's DNA. And it must not be strange. It must not be foreign to us as followers of Jesus. Uh, what a text it is that we have before us today. Huh? Two headers frame today's message. Opposition because of Jesus in verses one through seven, followed by opportunity to speak for Jesus in verses eight through 22. And then I want to, given this particular text, I want to wrap up by talking some about the greatness of the name of Jesus. Such things given this text are definitely in order. What about opposition because of Jesus in verses one through seven? Is that not what we see here? The narrative from chapter three spills over into chapter four. Jerusalem is a buzz, huh? Earlier in chapter three, we see the, the healing of a man, the miracle on a man who had never 
taken steps in his life, huh? And according to chapter 4, verse 22, he was upwards of 40 years old. This man who had been carried into the temple ended up taking his first step. He leaps up and begins to praise and worship God and give him the glory. It was this miracle that became the platform for Peter and John to preach the good news about Jesus Christ, the good news about forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. And the good news back then remains the good news today. You and I can have a clean slate, as it were, before God through the forgiveness that comes through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But not everybody in Jerusalem was celebrating on that day. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4 enter the opposition. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The opposition enters. And where did the opposition come from? It was the religious elite, wealthy, politically connected men, occupying positions of influence and power, some of whom were members of the great high court, the Sanhedrin. This group of men, these were Roman friendly and they benefited by that kind of connection. What particularly annoyed them was the apostles' teaching about the resurrection of the dead, which they denied, the Sadducees did. So preaching Jesus and his resurrection was a slap in the face to them for more than one reason. Huh? It's also noteworthy that among them were some of those who had opposed Jesus. Take a look at, at verse 6. Remember those names in the gospel? Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Uh, those are the ones particularly mentioned in the gospels. And John and Alexander and all were who, who were of the high priestly family. Huh? So Peter and John, they take them into custody in verse 3. What might have Peter and John been thinking about as they were there in jail on that evening? Huh? Did they ponder the words of Jesus that he had spoken in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12? Listen, blessed are you, Jesus says, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Huh? May they have thought about that or other words from Jesus that mention what would happen to them because of their identity with him, because of their being followers of Christ? Well, we're not told, but one thing that we do know, that when the time came 
for them to speak, they were ready, huh? Uh, uh, Luke in verse four gives us one of those progress reports that he often gives in the book of Acts. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. In other words, the gospel was continuing to move and to have its effect and impact even in the midst of of persecution, huh? Well, Luke gives us a front row seat to the proceedings after the apostles were brought in before this group of religious leaders, huh? And so before we get into the particulars of what happened, what happened, I want to note this. Authentic Christianity is ripe for opposition, huh? It's ripe for opposition. One of the reasons, at least, is because it doesn't play by the rules of religion, huh? Authentic Christianity actually bucks religious systems and religious protocols, Authentic Christianity is not a set of do's and don'ts. You may have heard or been raised or part of a system that really highlighted the do's and don'ts, so-called, of the faith. Hey, Christianity, uh, authentic Christianity is not a set of do's and don'ts. What does it do? It meets people at the point of their deepest needs whether they're seen or unseen, spoken or unspoken, felt or unspoken, authentic Christianity, Bible Christianity, the Christianity that Jesus founded and was advanced through the centuries, huh? Uh, uh, beginning with these foundation you know, men, the apostles, huh? It's not a set of rules and do's. And don'ts. It's ordered by Christ. It's Bible-based. It's Christ-centered. Jesus himself is the centerpiece of it. It's ultimately about him and allegiance to him. And that clashes and stands against uh, religion, so to speak. Huh? The religious leaders were more about themselves and the status quo than the well-being of the people. Huh? So they come with a question, do they not, in verse 7, by what power or by what name do you do this? Huh? Who was it that authorized you? Huh? Such was the question. A spirit-filled Peter answered. Opposition because of Jesus, verses one through seven, is followed by the opportunity to speak for Jesus in verses eight through 22. And speak for Jesus is exactly what Peter did. What an opportunity. He respectfully addresses these who are gathered there, huh? But then he uh, did uh, what 
uh, what Jesus had, had, had spoken about in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 uh, and following. Listen to what Jesus uh, told his uh, disciples in this particular passage. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Here it is. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. What did he say? Basically, Jesus did it. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, verse 10. He's the source. He's the power. He's the authority for the healing and the miracle. Jesus, the one, verse 10, that was raised from death. Jab, jab, uh, Sadducees, huh? He is the authority, the power responsible. Jesus rescued this man. Jesus delivered him. Jesus made him whole, huh? Jesus, this rejected Jesus, uh, rejected by you builders, you leaders, huh? The rejected one uh, became the cornerstone, the most significant place in the building where the walls came together. That's one way of looking at it. Others see it as more as the, the finishing, the capstone. But Jesus, the rejected one, made, it, made him whole. The significance of Jesus is additionally emphasized in verse 12, where the very powerful words basically say that to reject Jesus is to reject salvation, that is forgiveness and rescue, being made whole, healing. He is the God-appointed means for salvation. No one else, no other name under heaven. Is that not what it says? For there is salvation, verse 12, and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Huh? How do you view opposition? Huh? Do we view opposition because of Jesus as actually as Opportunities to really explain Jesus, to really honor Jesus by speaking truth about him. Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 are helpful. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Opposition is actually opportunity to speak on behalf of Christ. How ready are you? How ready are we for both opposition and opportunity. 
opposition to Jesus can be seized as opportunity for Jesus by those of us who have pledged allegiance to Jesus. Where are you experiencing opposition because of Christ, because of Jesus, because of your dedication, because of your loyalty, because of your allegiance to him? Are you viewing that particular opportunity, uh, that situation as an opportunity to really speak up for him, to really lean on him for power, uh, to do what's right and to bring glory and honor to him in the spaces where you find yourself to act justly, to act mercifully? The opposition here is religious, but there are other situations that can arise and provide opportunities to speak for Jesus. Dr. Dennis uh, Edwards, professor at North Park University, has uh, written a marvelous book called Might from the Margins. I highly recommend it. He speaks about how those who have been pushed to the margins really have something valuable to the off, to offer when they are brought to the table, when they are brought into conversations. As a matter of fact, their experience can help flavor the whole in ways that without them, it is the whole is really diminished. He says this, followers of Jesus always face opposition. The opposition is primarily about our commitment to Jesus in a world that resists our Lord, but is compounded by race, gender, physical ability, education, income, and so many other factors. Yet our Lord says, in the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. Huh? Great words, are they not? How ready are we for opposition and opportunities that come along with it? Perhaps we can learn from the apostles some valuable lessons. Things like spending time with Jesus. Huh? Take a look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus had rubbed off on them, so to speak, huh? Uh, to the point that others got reflections of Jesus in them. Is that the case with you and me? Well, we don't have uh, Jesus with us personally and bodily. Uh, are we spending time listening to him? Are we learning from his words and example uh, that we see in the Gospels? These men had been with Jesus for three years. While they didn't have the rabbinic credentials and they hadn't been educated in the schools of that particular day, still they had the experience of Jesus that really uh, put them, uh, positioned them well to do what they were doing. 
they had been sent in his name. Uh, spend time with Jesus so others can be reminded of him through us. I met a gentleman that I'm growing to love and respect. Uh, we're working with a denomination at the ministry that I'm a part of and met him a couple of years ago. But when I look at this gentleman, um, I, I see Jesus in him. I see Jesus, uh, I hear Jesus in his words and, and see him in, in this man's demeanor. Huh? Uh, uh, again, I believe that my friend Lou, I know that my friend Lou spends time with Jesus and that comes through. Similarly, brothers and sisters, uh, it should come through that we are regularly spending time with Jesus. We're in the presence of Jesus. We're listening to his words. We are embracing his words. We are paying attention to the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. Huh? So <laughs> being with him, uh, soaking up Jesus as it were, huh? Well, Jesus extended an invitation to his disciples and to us. Jesus tells, told them and tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Listen to this. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Huh? Wow. Uh, following Jesus, identifying with him. And Peter and John were in that queue, in that train, and following him. And so must we be. The scriptures are, uh, are a very uh, great value for understanding Jesus and helping us to see his ways and his works. Huh? Opposition because of Jesus, opportunities to speak for Jesus, and finally, a few words regarding the greatness of the name of Jesus. There is absolutely no one greater than our Lord. Yes, there have been great men and women who have contributed uh, much to our world, but none greater than Jesus. 19th century Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy was a great admirer of Abraham Lincoln. Listen to what Tolstoy had to say about the greatness of Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. Of all the great national heroes and statesmen of history, Lincoln is the only real giant, he notes. Alexander, Frederick the Great, Caesar, Napoleon, Gladstone, and even Washington stand in greatness of character, in depth of feeling, and in a certain moral power far behind Lincoln. 
Lincoln was a man of whom a nation has a right to be proud. He was a Christ in miniature, a saint of humanity, whose name will live thousands of years in the legends of future generations. We are still too near his greatness and so hardly can appreciate his divine power, but after a few centuries uh, more, our posterity will find him considerably bigger than we do. Tolstoy wrote that in the early 20th century. Tolstoy proceeded to tell an amazing story about how an enraptured a group of barbaric people in Asia who wanted to hear about this great one of whom it was said of, of Lincoln later, when he died, now he belongs to the ages, huh? Our text today includes verse 12, as I've already read. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Simple in its content about our Lord, but profound in its significance. Huh? Salvation is in no one else. God has given no other name among heaven whereby we must be saved. The greatness of the great men and women of the earth is incomparable as it compares with the greatness of our Savior. Uh, the, uh, some years ago, someone penned the words of one solitary life. Listen to the last paragraph of that. 20th 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he, that is Jesus, is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, <laughs> have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life, the life of Jesus. Huh? Deliverance and salvation and rescue rests ultimately in no one else. Huh? No greater person has ever walked on this earth than Jesus, the God-man the one who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, the one upon whom has been bestowed the title Lord, huh? Jesus, huh? The one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess, huh? Have you pledged your allegiance to that one? Uh, passages like the one that we have looked at today compel us to examine our allegiance to him, huh? out to scrutinize our loyalty to Christ. Huh? Don't be surprised if that allegiance, your allegiance and my allegiance to Jesus is tested. 
If so, will we pass the test? Are we so centered and anchored in our allegiance and our loyalty to him that we will pass the test? Our world, friends, needs people whose primary loyalties are to Jesus. And such loyalties must guide our witness and our work in this world. As Christians, you and I must be unashamedly pro-Jesus. Huh? We must be unashamedly pro-Jesus. Our loyalty to him must be greater to him than any political party or political allegiance or political position. Our allegiance to him must be greater than our national loyalty or our ethnic or racial identities. Jesus calls us to himself, and he noted that his kingdom, friends, is not of this world. What's my encouragement? That we would reexamine our allegiance to Jesus and align our lives in ways that enable a deeper love and loyalty for the greatest one who has ever walked the face of this earth. And that one has ascended and sitteth at the right hand of the Father. Opposition to Jesus can be seized as opportunities for Jesus by those who have pledged their allegiance to him. In 1870, Carolyn Noel wrote the words to at the name of Jesus. Our own Jonathan Gilley is one of those who have added music to those verses over the years. And I close with just a few verses that help to center us at the end of this sermon. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow Every tongue confess him king of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. In your hearts enthrone him. There let him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. Look to him, your savior, in temptation's hour. Let his will enfold you in his light and power. Christians, this Lord Jesus shall return again with his father's glory o'er the earth to reign. For all the wreaths of empire meet upon his brow and our hearts confess him king of glory now. Father in heaven, thank you for this truth this day from your word. May we embrace it. May we live it. May we honor you in our work, in our witness, in our world.
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.